2: It's the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today we're going to be looking back at Fulham's 3-2 win at Sunderland last night as we booked ourselves a place in the fifth round of the FA Cup for the first time since 2017. But it was a scary old one at the Stadium of Light. They made a sweat, didn't they, at the end. But we got through. Sunderland, we've got to give them a lot of credit. They were fantastic. But Fulham just had enough Premier League quality to see off the tie In today's podcast, we'll also preview Nottingham Forest on Saturday We'll run through a few emails and then a quick this will catch on at the end I'm joined by the regular Thursday club First of all, Jack Collins, hello Hello listeners, hello Sammy Aiden. Good, thank you Happy to be through the cup You know how much I want a cup run, Jack So I'm, do, uh, do. I'm smiling from ear to ear this morning And live from a cafe in Sunderland We've got him on for a few minutes Peter Rutzler, hello
3: Hello, Sammy. Hello, Jack. How are we? How are we doing? I'm quite happy. You know, it wasn't too late for me. Game went quite well. I'm now able to have a good night's sleep. And, uh, yeah. Still in sunny Sunderland.
2: Yeah. What cafe are you in? Is it a proper greasy spoon?
3: No, no, no. It's quite nice, actually. Um, Biz R, it's called, I think. Um, some nice uh, artwork on the walls. With, uh, a man with a saxophone. Not actually. That's, on a, that's in a picture. Not actually a man in a saxophone. That would be quite something.
0: Really bad for the quality of this audio if a man starts playing the saxophone in the background.
3: <laughs> uh, no, it's just very nice. Yeah, very happy. Oh, very good. happy indeed. Well, we're g- glad
2: we could get you on just before you catch your train, um, Peter. Uh, just before we get into the match from last night, uh, Jack, have you got some three-word reviews for us? I do indeed.
0: I do indeed. There were some very good ones, um, mostly along similar themes. Um, I really liked Fulham Mike's Cats Outer Hat. Um, Paul Budd Stadium of Fright which oh, was brilliant. which was excellent uh, Sam James the other Sammy James wow uh, went with went with Wonder Replay which is a nice uh, <laughs> nice play on <laughs> as in lo- classic. yeah very yeah, good very good uh, John Schaefer with Cats Outer Lives uh, and finally Timbo with Lavin La Vida Loca which I thought was, was pretty sensational me. I mean that's definitely four words isn't it well he's put Lavin apostrophe L A, as in all one and then Vida Loca <sighs>
2: He's stretching it
0: there it is a stretch it's a stretch but you know (laughs) what it it was well played so i thought i'd get it in there it's probably not it's probably too much of a stretch to give it the name but i i I wanted to give it some credit because i thought it was
2: excellent yeah um let's get into last night's game then and peter um the location that you were sat in the stadium um, had me absolutely giggling. It looked like you were on your own at the top of the stands. Then I realized you were actually up where like, the TV gantry was. And uh, you were about two feet from Marco Silva. So how was that experience, basically, watching the game a stone's throw from, uh, from the manager?
3: Yeah, it was, it was about 20 feet from me. But he was literally sat behind the, the, the press box and the TV bits. And um, then us national lot were put further down. But uh, yeah, it was it was it was sky high. It was funny when you you tweeted and I had a to touchline ban and then Silver walks up and is in the same position. So technically, you were correct. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there was a ban, but, um, but I quite I don't mind the view when it's like that because it's it can be quite tactical and it was interesting actually when, when Silver spoke afterwards about how you know the view is much clearer and and I do wonder to what extent that influenced his halftime change um, seeing something unfold and like right. Maybe if he was on the touchline, he might have given it another 10 minutes, but um, he was very unhappy with what he was seeing in terms of the, the first press, um, I think, so made the change. But, uh, but yeah, no, in terms of what, what Marco was like, I think he was uh, exactly the same as on the touchline, just annoying his um, first-team analyst, Antonius Liminakis. Um a man who strikes me as a very calm, quiet, composed guy. Um, normally, you know, will sit up high watching the game, feeding back to the bench generally with an air of serenity. Uh, unfortunately for him, he had fucker mm. silver next to him. Um, it was a bit more lively, especially in the second half, you know, the classic pacing, arms in the air, hands in pockets, um, that kind of vibe. Um, at one point, he sort of he sat back and then leant on these sort of metal bars that were behind the scaffolding of where the, the TV cameras were and just put his hands on his face, just knowing that this game was not dead and um, Sunderland were not going away lightly and... Um, but yeah, he and his staff got the job done. Um but uh yeah, definitely a novel experience. Certainly for him. I don't think he'd want to repeat it. Um but uh but yeah, no, uh, a bit of a different a different take.
2: I mean Louis Boamorte had a quiet night, didn't he? He's thinking, Oh, God, I don't have Marco rabbiting in my ear for the uh for the entire night. I'm sure he did just via the um <laughs> via the little earpiece in his ear, but at least he didn't have it face to face um for a night. I mean Peter, it was one of those kind of I thought for the majority of it, Fulham were in control. There was just a few moments of utter chaos and then a particularly epitomised by the way that we conceded in the 91st minute. But if, if you're being honest with ourselves, we were, I think, the deserving team to go through. I, I think overall, the balance of play, Fulham had the better of it. But yeah, they really made a sweat.
3: Yeah, just about. I think Fulham edged it. Um, I think in the early stages, it went as well as you'd want for a visiting top flight team against the team, trying to cause an upset, didn't get a lot of control, good on the ball, creating some good chances. I think Wilson could have had a hat trick. I thought he was very lively, and obviously he opened the scoring as well, which was great, you know, a really important first goal for him. Um, Tom Cairn he really seemed to to run the show in the middle. He was absolutely brilliant, um, dropping deeper, winning tackles, imposing himself on the game, which Fulham didn't always do. I think Kenny was probably a rarity in that he was able to impose himself for most of the game, whereas uh, it just felt like Fulham ebbed and flowed a little bit, as you as you were saying. You know that control sort of waned, Sunderland grew in confidence. We know how good they are. Like you know they're, they're attacking threat with the likes of Amatiano and Patrick Roberts and um, Jack Clark on the left. I thought was a really real a real handful for Fulham actually throughout the game. Um, and yeah, they once they grew in confidence, it became more of a problem and. I, the pitch did look great. I mean, I, have to, I was a million miles from the pitch, so I can't be absolutely sure how good it was, but it didn't look particularly great. Um, and Fulham just seemed to make so many mistakes in possession. And, and there's also the element of, you know, not being a regular 11, not really knowing each other that well, having that understanding. Um but even so, you know, there were too many mistakes. That's probably why Silva was wringing his hands so much from where we were sitting, because it just it just allowed Sunderland to maintain some pressure, to build some rhythm and confidence, and the goals as well. I mean, you know, the, 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 I think Bennett's goal where, where Kazawa slips and, you know, just sort of symbolised that. Um, but, you know, they, Fulham had the moments of quality. They had those difference makers when it mattered, you know did require Mitrovic in the second half but um, it was instrumental for, for Pereira's goal um, that just, just made the, the difference in the end but uh, yeah it certainly wasn't easy and I think um, we'll be a little relieved to just come through the, through the tie without um, without extra time especially
0: Yeah I, I think it's pretty much spot on it's one of those where you're looking at it and, and thinking about how the game panned out and if Fulham had been 3-0 ahead in the first 25 minutes I don't think it would have majorly shocked anyone it was just then the Sunderland's ability to stick in the game and, and make things happen in kind of small doses that actually unnerved Fulham in some ways. And it's probably the most control we've had in in a while in a Premier League, well, in a Premier League game, in a game considering we're now in the Premier League. Um, and and apart from maybe the, the Palace game, where obviously you're against 10 and then nine men for the majority of, of the second half, you know, those those games don't come around very often. And actually, Fulham almost played ourselves into trouble, I thought, at times. the, the there was a, a spell in the second half just before Sunderland scored the first goal, where, you know, Fulham couldn't just get our foot on the ball and play ourselves out of trouble. And when Jack Clark scored, it, it didn't feel like it was massively out of the blue. Not necessarily in terms of the way that the game was ebbing and flowing at that point, but actually in terms of the way that Fulham were just giving up possession on, on the edge of our own box. And, and, and that's what it felt like. It was like a, a tie where Fulham had all the moments to and all the ability to go and kill it off, didn't. Suddenly hung in there admirably, and, and you have to give them major credit for that. They defended well, I thought, at times. Uh, obviously, they will look at two of those three goals and think we should probably be doing better than that. But, but generally, in the second half, I thought they defended quite well, and, and Fulham were a you know happy to almost give up the ball cough up the ball on the edge of our own box and and ultimately we got punished for that and it is a kind of shot across the bow in many ways that if you do make silly errors like that going forward in this competition and going forward in the league you are going to be punished but ultimately we got the job done and that's what matters really when when you look at it it was uh you know some Big moments for certain players. I thought it was important that Harry Wilson got a goal. Um, I, I thought Kazawa was pretty poor again, and then scored another goal, which means that he's got like he's got a goal contribution every seventy-eight minutes or something for Fulham uh, <laughs> in in his time here, which is pretty mad considering he hasn't been very good. Play him um, up front, yeah, maybe play him as a winger. <laughs> I, I don't know, but it, it does. It kind of just one of those things where. Yes, the result's good. Yes, the performance, I think, was mostly good. Um, We've got to be very wary of of making the same mistakes that we did, though, when we go back to league football, because we will be punished further than we were last night.
2: Um, Peter, I I thought that in the end, Marco's squad management was impressive. Before the game, I was a bit worried when I saw that lineup. nine changes from the weekend. I understood it because Forrest is on Saturday and... That's a short turnaround, especially when you got a factor in the travel. But actually, the way it all ended up, there were lots of major players that did end up on the pitch, but none of them ended up on there for much more than an hour. Even Polinia and Tete, who started, got pulled off after uh, just after 60 minutes. Mitro and Pereira played a half. Decadova reed played some time. Harrison Reed played some time. So, I mean, Marco would have loved to not play any of them and have them with a full week's rest before Forrest. But actually... I don't think last night should have too much of a bearing on Saturday's game. Um, apart from maybe that, you know, the coaching staff will have less time to prepare for forest, but certainly from a squad fitness point of view, he seemed to use the squads to his advantage.
3: Yeah. I think Well, the main thing I think was, was just avoiding that extra time, avoiding that extra strain on those who, who were on the pitch. But I, I think you're right. Um, I think when you, when you make nine changes, and you're looking at the draw the way it is, you know, obviously it's Leeds without that manager at the moment. I know they played well against Manchester United last night, but you're looking at a potential cup run here that could go quite deep. Um, so there is that risk, that sense of, you know, if, if last night did go awry, you are looking at it going, well, that's an opportunity missed, like a massive opportunity missed. But at the same time, you've got to give these players opportunities to, to make their mark and you can't really know what they're like until they're in a competitive game with a chance to show how they can fit into the system. I think for the likes of Solomon, it was important to get a good tranche of minutes again. Um, it was good for Piquerny to start, for, for Wilson to get that goal, as Jack said. Those little things are really important. Shane Duffy, I mean, man, he hasn't played since Crawley. Mm. <laughs> again, I completely blocked out from my mind. <laughs> it was like, oh, it's, his, it's his first thing. It's, it's his first out for Fulham. It's definitely not. Um, but yeah, the, those are really important for squad management, for morale. So in terms of how the night went, you know, I mean, there's a, there's an outcome bias there, but it went perfectly, um, and the changes made a difference. You know, Silva talks about how um, Harris and Vinicius you know, they were struggling with the first pressure, and um, Vinicius had a strange one because I, I thought you did really well for the goal, which showed what you can do, and then for most of the half after that, there was it just seemed to bounce off him. He just couldn't seem to retain it. Um, so it's definitely a question mark there. But so the changes weren't too surprising, I suppose. Um, but once you bring them on, you don't want them. You don't want Mitrovic doing extra time before, and Carrera doing extra time before, before the Forest game. But uh, all in all, it was fine. I guess the only concern is the injuries. Um, Tom Kearney did not look great when he was at, at full-time because Fulham mm. had that breakaway um, run down the other end. I think Kearney seemed to catch the, the turf, um, and he had to be helped from the field by, by two Fulham staff members. So, um, Silver said, it wasn't, said they thought it was serious initially, but they're not sure now, so We'll have to see what, what the outcome of that is because it's a real shame because I thought he was absolutely outstanding. Um, Harrison Reed as well has a knock, so might be one for Sasa Lucas this weekend if, if those two can't uh, recover quickly for, for, for the weekend. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, all in all okay, as long as the injuries aren't too, too bad.
2: Yeah, might be the Sasa show on, uh, on Saturday. Well, look, Peter, we know you've got to get a train and things, so we'll let you go. But thanks for jumping on today, mate, and uh, safe travels home from uh, Sunderland.
3: No problem, thanks for
2: having me as always. Peter there from the cafe in, uh, in, in Sunderland having his uh, morning cup of tea, Peter Rutzler style. Um, Jack, uh, I thought you might want a moment. Are you wearing an Ireland top? Have I, I mean, you're wearing something green. Hey, it's actually a Limerick jersey, but I... Oh, well, close enough. I thought you might want a moment to uh, to discuss your compatriot Shane Duffy and uh, his performance as centre-back. I thought he was okay. I mean, that clearance off the line was, uh, was very good. He got an assist for the goal, um, the winning goal uh, in the end. There were some moments where he looked a bit nervy, a bit rusty, but actually I thought he did an okay job. Hey, um, there was a moment actually in the first half where um, I think Steve Wilson, the BBC commentator, goes, Oh, it'd be interesting to see how Shane Duffy slips back into uh into football. He hasn't played in a while, and then he pinged a 60-yard pass to Man Solomon. The man Solomon yeah. should have scored. Yeah, and yeah, even yeah. Steve Wilson was like, wow. I've seen him. Yeah, he
0: started confidence. back in. Well, no, that's it. It was it was the first ten 10- Minutes or so did look a little bit shaky. Um, obviously, there was a, some misplaced passes. There was a bit of a bit of chat going around on various group chats, but it was Shane Duffy had forgotten how to pass, and then suddenly he pulled that out of the lock. And you are like, oh, it's fine. I, I thought he grew into it, with one major exception. Um, in that, I think he should have done better for Jack Clark's goal. I, I think he's got to step out to his man faster there and not let him use him like a human training cone. But generally. <laughs> Generally, I thought he was good. Actually, I thought he was the more assured of our two defenders yesterday. Uh, when when it came to actually making challenges and and, and winning things, and obviously against the assists to top that off, there were some really nice passes. There were some nice moments I thought from from Duffy. There are there's still clearly ring rust there in terms, you know, of the fact that the first you'll see the first, last thing you want in the world, right, is is Patrick Roberts dribbling at you after you've had six months without a start. Um, so, so I can, can I understand how how it was a little bit tricky to begin with. But yeah, I thought after a nervous start, he grew into this game and obviously made the really important block of the line. Did really well for the goal. I thought for, for the assist that he, that he got in terms of where he directs that header to, because everyone is assuming it's going out wide, further out to to Pereira. I think is to, to knock back in instead. He nibbles it into the path of Kazawa, who roofs it in, in in so many ways. But it just generally, I thought it was a it was a good performance uh, and one that you know does suggest that if we need to rely on on Shane Duffy coming towards the end of this season, then there's still a player there who who looks like he's capable of, you know, not only winning aerial duels, which we know that he, he's been very, very good at for his whole career, causing chaos in opposition boxes at, at, at set pieces, um, but also in terms of actually just standing up and and, and playing those passes and making Fulham tick in, in those ways, getting the ball out to the flanks, getting the ball into those areas where Fulham have been dangerous this season. We've heard Marco Silva talk this season about the fact that Tosin has been put into sides because of his long passing ability. But well, I thought there were, there were shades of that from Duffy yesterday as well. So yeah, nice to see him get a start. I thought he, he did overall pretty well. Um, I would say he was one of Fulham's better players across the course of the, of the 90. Uh, so yeah, lovely to see him back in the side. And yeah, a, a good performance to go with it. Although uh, there is still elements of that rustiness that I think will take some time to shake
2: off. Um, we did m- briefly mention Levin Kazawa, and obviously um, I mean his finishing ability is absolutely uh, sensational. Yeah. yeah um, the one against Hull where he you know just posting in with, despite not needing to and then last night it was just so emphatic. Um, but I I worry about him at if he was to play left back regularly in the Premier League I mean Sunderland gave him a torrid time in both games and I know there are some talented Sunderland players that he has come up against but he just doesn't look like he, he looks like so beatable every time that someone goes one-on-one with him and considering we've had Robinson and Kenny Tete who I would say are Both fantastic one-on-one abilities. It's quite unnerving to see someone who just looks like you need to do a drop of the shoulder and you get past him.
0: Yeah, I I would caveat that in these two games, I mean, he looked a little bit shaky against Hull as well. And I'm going to not count the Newcastle game really, because uh, I, I don't think you can necessarily glean much from it. But in these games and... And I, w- I would just caveat the fact that he's been up against Amadiello. And, and I don't mean this as, oh, that man's clearly like unbelievable Premier League talent. What he is, I think Amadiello, and he will be a Premier League player, I think there's absolutely no doubt about that, is an incredibly good one-on-one dribbler. And, and it, it's very difficult to, to actually stand him up and make things happen. So, I mean, I, I thought Kozawa was was relatively poor yesterday. He's very good on the ball. And, he, you know, his ability to get himself out of tight situations to find a gap to, you know, do a swivel and go almost lends himself to a winger profile. It was, there was a shade of not quite as close to the touchline, but obviously what of Solomon did at Chelsea on the on the touchline where he left a man for dead and, and then fired down the touchline. Kozawa did that on the edge of his own box yesterday. And <laughs> he, he sort of just like he just sort of found a gap, did a little croy turn and he was away. And I was like, well, yeah, great. Fantastic in terms of relieving pressure. But also, like you kind of want those abilities to be unlocked in the final third rather than in your own defensive third because if they go wrong, that is a huge, huge moment for anyone, so yes, I worry about his one on one defending um with the caveat that he was up against an incredibly good you know tricky player in Diallo, who who makes things happen uh, and and Gerson Burnett, Benet, to be fair, as well a good player who played all games for. Costa Rica in the World Cup, who I thought was impressive in a quite poor Costa Rica team in the World Cup. Works hard, beats his man on a regular basis. But yeah, I mean, as a a defensive performance, it doesn't leave, it doesn't give you all that much confidence. Um, but he will come up against wingers who are more direct who are going to look to instead of getting a ball dropping a shoulder and going round you who will try and get round the outside and I wonder if he'd actually have more joy against those kind of players because of his style of defending and his style of football but yeah it's not it's not great and I would suggest that Fulham will remain looking at Kazawa as a backup option unless something drastically goes wrong
2: yeah um I th- I think I think it's fine. I, I'd be interested to see him a couple more times this season if we if we if we have we to. Need if we need to rotate. Sorry, if we need a goal. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> if we're really struggling, you wonder if it's like don't bring Vinicius on. <laughs> Stick Levin Gazara up top with uh, with Mitrovic. Uh, speaking of the big man, him and Pereira came on at halftime. Initially, it felt like that substitution did not bring any kind of joy for Fulham. Sunderland had so much um, of the game at the start of the second half, and then it was just. A moment of sheer quality, lovely pass from um Kenny to Mitrovic, and he just burst into the box. I mean, he was moving there, Alexander Mitrovic. It was impressive. Came back to him, back to Pereira. Um, coupled with the funniest fall over the advertising hoardings you've ever seen from Alexander Mitrovic. It was like it's like something out the Chuckle Brothers, the way yeah, he yeah, went yeah. over arms in the air, pantomime. Yeah, it very much was <laughs> whoop. Um, it just needed the sound effect behind it. Um That for me was what kind of felt like it killed the game from Sunderland or certainly made it very difficult for Sunderland. I know they then got back into it, but you know, if Sunderland come back into the game and it's one all, then suddenly I'm extremely worried. But as soon as we got that two goal cushion, even though it got pulled back a couple of times, that was when I was like, "I, I, I think we're probably through here. And yeah, it was good. It was good to see Mitrovic. You know, we talk, you talked about him on last week's podcast and the lack of confidence, the dry spell. Yes, he didn't get a goal yesterday, but I think actually just like that run, that assist, the fact that it was kind of his goal, really. Yes, Pereira is the one that tapped it in. I think should do him some good just to remember what it's like to kind of have a goal involvement.
0: Yeah, 100%. And, and also the link up between him and Pereira, I thought yesterday was really sharp. There were you know moments where they were combining into changing in the final third. There were some really nice slipped passes from Mitrovic into Pereira running ahead of him, which was something that we saw a lot last year with Fabio Carvalho. And and we saw it at the start of this year and, and maybe dropped off a little bit. We've seen Pereira's involvement on the edge of the box, in the box, reduced in recent weeks. And actually to see that link up again, I thought was was good and, and something that we can, we can take a lot of heart from going into the Forest game this weekend. You'd imagine that the two of them start and, you know, the, their relationship and their rapport has been a key part of how Fulham have operated going forward this season, obviously. And so for them to, to link up, for them to assist, well, for Mitrovic to assist Pineda, there a couple of those moments where maybe Pereira should have done better with a couple of other uh, moments that Medvedic had, had kind of set on him, set on a plate for him. Generally, I, I thought it was, it was good. And, 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 as you said earlier, you didn't want them playing an extra 30 minutes and potentially penalties there. But to come on, do 45. Everyone was talking about the, you know, match of respect that it showed that Marcus Silver had for Sunderland. I think that's probably spot on. Um, also, I think it showed that he wanted to get the game done. And he, you know, he was like, right, this is, this is fine. We're going to tickle along here. But, Ultimately, what we really want is, is to get this done. We're going to bring on the big guns and they fired uh, You know, pretty much instantly for him, even if it took a, you know, a hot minute for it to to get going <laughs> and for them to get into the game. As soon as they did get into the game, it resulted in, in Fulham's second goal. And I think that's important. So, yeah, I think they'll glean both of them, actually, a lot of confidence for that. And we've talked about Pereira needing to get himself more into the goals as well. You know, the, the, more goals need to come from that 10 role at Fulham because we can't rely on the front three scoring all of Fulham's goals. Yeah. So yeah, generally I, I think it was a, a good 45 minute cameo from both of them.
2: I just want to talk about Luke Harris as the final kind of bit on yeah. Sunderland um, started. I was really excited. I, you know, as much as I didn't want to see all the changes, I thought, oh. Harris in the 10 That's exciting. Um, I thought that he had quite a impressive, tidy performance. I saw others kind of saying, oh, he was a bit off the pace or whatever. Um, I felt, I don't know if that's doing in the world of good though, getting hauled off at halftime. It could have been,
0: it could have been set up though. It could, you know, you do often think, you know, that you, unless, unless something drastic happens, they're going, Luke, we're gonna give you the first half here. We we'd like you to start and get going and then and then unless unless we're three nil up at the break, we're we're gonna probably bring you know, we, we need to get Mitrovic and Pereira to, to start firing as well. So uh, I'd imagine a lot of the, those halftime changes might well have been planned barring like a ludicrous first half.
2: But anyway, what did you think of Harris's performance? I just thought there were some neat touches in there. There was one towards the end of the first half where I thought he won a really smart little free kick. And I, I just thought he, he complimented the team. I thought he looked at home there. Yes. He didn't create a stack of chances or whatever. Kenny was kind of the one running the midfield and then Polini, the bossing, and Harris alongside those two maybe didn't seem so obvious what he was doing but I just thought it was a tidy performance and more minutes for for a young man who's clearly going places but it's just going to take a while for him to break into this Fulham team I think if we're expecting a Fabio Carvalho moment I don't think that's going to be the case in this one
0: yeah, uh, quiet but tidy is probably how I would, I would describe it. I, I don't think he did a huge amount, um, but equally he didn't really do anything wrong. So you look at that performance and you go, "Are you just bedding yourself in, trying to work out where you where you kind of sit in the system?" I think the fact, you know, as Peter alluded to, Carlos Vinicius got a good assist for, for Harry Wilson's goal, and then after that, everything kept bouncing off him, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's particularly conducive to a good performance from your ten. If the hold up man who's trying to bring you into the game can't hold the ball up. Uh, and so I would imagine that the the kind of Blame is probably the wrong word, but part of the reason that he he wasn't able to fully get his foot on and and start to maybe create those chances or or even have a few shots himself in the final third was partly due to the way that Fulham then were like, right, well, if it's not sticking with you, we're going down the wings. And obviously, Manna Solomon and Harry Wilson were both looking really, really good in that first half, both able to dribble kind of inside and, and unleash shots, as we know, well, Harry Wilson, at the very least, on these shots. Mana Solomon appears to want to dribble round the pitch and then go round and then come back again. Um, but <laughs> apart from that, you know, generally, I think that getting the ball out to the wingers, letting them cut inside and try and let them make those moments happen from, from those areas has been Fulham's strategy for a long time. Um, and unless you have someone bringing in your 10 like as a hold up, man, it's quite difficult to get in the game. So, yeah, I thought it was fine from Luke Harris without necessarily saying the world of place.
2: All right, well, we're going to take a break there. Afterwards, we'll look ahead to Forest on Saturday.
3: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app
1: today. Your savings are waiting.
2: Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, it is Sammy here with Jack Collins looking ahead to Saturday's game against Nottingham Forest at the Cottage. Three o'clock kickoff at the Cottage in February. Hopefully the weather's nice. It's good to get three o'clock back in our lives. I like the Friday nights, I like the Monday nights, but it's just nice for a couple of weeks that we just got the old traditional Saturday three o'clocks. And Jack, it's quite nice that we have what I would class as a winnable Premier League game. We've had a we've had a really tough run of, of Premier League games. Um, we've obviously played well that lot up the road twice, which these days isn't quite as tough as it used to be. But um, we know their we know their pedigree. Uh, Newcastle and Tottenham as well. Um, but Forest are no mugs. Um, they are on a, a decent little run. Um, they've kind of pulled themselves away from the major relegation scrap, although they definitely need quite a few more points before they can deem themselves safe. The big hope going into this game is that as far as I can see, and as far as I've seen all season, that forest at the city ground, great forest away from home. Not so great. So fingers crossed that can continue on Saturday.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not been pretty traveling for the forest faithful across the course of this season, but I think they can be Confident that when when they have you know got enough in the tank, it's been it's been at home, and I'd imagine that that will continue. They're five unbeaten though. Forrest. three wins and two draws in their last five games, which is not league too games, presumably shabby as well. Got, yeah, obviously got knocked out. to the cup up. Yeah, 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 um, which is not bad at all, and it's lifted them to thirteenth in the table and. Yes, as you say, they're not they're not clear of the relegation scrap yet, but they are currently six points ahead of Everton in eighteenth, um seven ahead of Bournemouth in nineteenth, and nine ahead of Southampton. So they'll be pretty pleased with that. I think if you offered that to a Forest fan at the start of the season, they would have probably said, Yeah, that'd be that'd be perfect. We'll, we'll take that at this point in the season and hopefully try and drag them home in a in a late run. So there's lots to like. Steve Cooper's done a, a very good job. We said at the start of the season that you know, how many players they sign? 31. Too many players. But if anyone can drag a disparate squad together, given his experience with the England youth setups, Steve Cooper seems like a good bet in that he's the kind of man who's, for his entire managerial career, has just been like, "Okay, you're getting these players thrown at you now. Um, You're going to have to deal with them. And he's, you know, kind of almost unrelentingly done a very, very good job at actually making that happen. So credit to him. Um, This feels like a more settled team, I think um at the start of the season obviously when you bring that many people in it starts to move around you're like i don't know what's happening i don't know who's where um but generally across the course of this side it does feel more settled there's not many in here from from last year right scott mckenna brennan johnson really the only two starters from last year's championship team left in this and we did wonder if this was going to be the case um but it's no, it's a good side now. Kaylor Navas is in goal. Who? I mean, <laughs> w- w- what? Uh, Kaylor Navas at the cottage. Keylor Navas is in goal. You know, <laughs> Kaylor Navas oh, coming to the cottage. Great. I'm word. not normally
2: a fan of applauding the keeper when they come to the Hammersmith end in the second half, and I might make an exception for Kaylor Navas. Like what?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the back four of recent times, or I'm going from the Leeds game, but Nico Williams, Willie Bolly as someone who's got that Premier League experience at Wolves and has slotted in here, Scott McKenna is kind of the old kind of war horse, if you will, in many ways. Then Renan Lodi has found his feet. The midfield three, I really like. Remo Freuler, who came from Atalanta last summer, I think is an exceptional footballer, like an absolute dreamboat of footballer, the kind of player that everyone wants to play alongside. Um, they've brought in Danilo, uh, the young Brazilian, who seems to have started to find his feet as well. Uh, there's lots to like about him. I think generally one for the future, but still got still got the moments of quality, you know, in his day. I think he came in from Palmeiras uh, and is was they were they were loath to let him go, shall we say, even even as a youngster. Uh, and then I know my Mangala who Again, just solid, going to do the hard yards in there and, and can also make things happen when he goes a little bit further forward. He'll be given that license to roam. Morgan Gibbs-White has kind of made this 10 spot his own now after fending off some stiff, if you will, competition from Jesse Lingard. And then Brennan Johnson uh, has, has finally gone back up front, which I think suits him far more than some of the roles he was playing earlier in the yeah. season. And Chris Wood came in from Newcastle. Chris Wood is a really good footballer who has just done it. Time and time and time and time again, right? It's just like one of those players that you're like, every time he comes up against you, you're like, probably going to score, isn't he? He doesn't often, but he definitely has the capacity to. And I think that's important. They've, they've got a nice blend here, despite the fact that this is a very new team. You're looking at one, two, three, four, five of these with Premier League experience and I think that that's important in terms of how they're shaping it and then another two three with sort of Champions League experience it's a good well balanced squad who know how what well, let's let me rephrase that it's a good well balanced first team with a lot of squad behind it um, and and there are players on the bench here who who can influence games as well but you you're noticing I think or, or I am noticing that it's actually the players from last season that he tends to trust are coming off the bench. It's, it's your Joe Worrells, it's your Jack Colbacks, it's your Sam Surridges, who are actually the ones coming off the bench because they're the ones that Cooper looks to to kind of see out games and, and make things happen. And yes, they, they've signed Andre Ayu. I mean, I, I don't know quite what they were doing there, but it, it is <laughs> what it is. Um but just generally, I I think that Cooper's done a really good job in in knitting this team together. Um, that said, I do think that they're beatable, and you know you've mentioned their their dreadful record away from home. I think that's definitely a part of it. Um, but also, you know, as much as that, I, I do think that generally you just look at this side and you go, yeah, good players everywhere. Can Fulham outplay them into pretty much every area on the pitch? Yeah, I think so. Maybe maybe not in goal, and I say that with the you know, the biggest respect to to Burn Leno. He might not have the edge on Caelor on Navas. But generally, across the course of the rest of the pitch, I'm like, I wouldn't take many of these players into the Fulham first team. I'd take a lot of them into the Fulham squad, but I wouldn't take a lot of them into the Fulham first team. And I think that probably bodes well when you're looking yeah. at two lineups.
2: No, I'm not sure there's any... As you say, into the squad, I'd be like, oh, I'll have him, I'll have him, I'll have him, I'll have him. But I think in the first like I mean, I, like, I really like Morgan Gibbs-White in the 10, but like... Pereira like I mean is he is he gonna start in Fulham's team over Pereira I'm not 100% sure and Frey-
0: is it- the one for me I, I think looks alongside Polina I don't think anyone would ever go through but um <laughs> but yeah um, I mean how has no disrespect to Harrison and Sasha Lukic who, who you know we, we're excited about Lukic and we love Harrison um,
2: um, well, let's let's come on to Fulham's team and, and the midfield. Um, with, with Reed, we're not sure what the knock is. Unless he can, he's looked a little bit more serious. Um, I, I think that sh- might
0: be an impact injury. Uh, just, uh, j- just the way that he fell, I watched back the challenge a couple of times and I know like Fulham originally thought it was very serious, as Peter said, and then they were a little bit less sure the next day. I, I wonder if that's just an impact one. Now, it still might be a two, three weaker But I wonder if it is just a two, three weeker. It was just the way that he fell and the way that his body kind of contorted as he tried to get the ball across and he was kind of cleaned out.
2: But even so, I think that now we're quite likely to see Sasa Lukic on Saturday. If you think that you've now got two midfielders potentially with with knocks, niggles, whatever, like there's only a small amount of time between the matches. Um, So yeah, do you think we might see even Sasa Lukic from the start? It could be a possibility now.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wrote an article this week for Fulhamish about how, when we're going to see, when we're going to see, thank you, when we're going to see Sasha Lukic. And I think it's in games where Fulham feel that they can put a foot on the throat of their opposition. And I think this might be one of those games in that I think, you know, you're looking at Harrison Reed's role this season has been, yes, to put out the fires in the way that we know he can, but also to get forward and combine. And I think that Lukic offers slightly more attacking thrust in those areas. So I wonder if games like this are where we're going to see Sasha Lukic because, uh, to be honest, I thought this one might be a bit early for him and I think the injury might actually help his case in, in that regard. But generally, I think it's going to be games where Fulham are either looking for a goal, or are confident from the out that they are the better side, where Lukic can step in and 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 provide that kind of did you know he's he's got a bullet from distance, and we've seen at times in in his career he's able to slip those passes through in, into the final third, uh, and his attacking output's just slightly more refined i think than harrison reeds and with that said so i think that these are the kind of games we would have seen him as i said i think this one might have been too early if everyone was fit but if that's not the case then i wouldn't be surprised at all to see him from the start
2: and just in terms of the importance of this game obviously every game's important jack we know this um it feels like a nice opportunity for fulham just to get three points again we haven't won a game since that chelsea win in the premier league um, and and you look at like who the other teams around us are playing this weekend. Brentford have got to travel to Arsenal. Brighton are playing Palace away, and whilst you'd imagine Brighton are the favourites for that, it's obviously it's a rivalry. It's not a derby, um, but it's still a rivalry, and and anything can kind of happen. Form goes so, out the
0: window, Sammy. Form goes out. Form the goes out
2: the window. <laughs> Two the most dangerous scoreline in football. Let's just do all the Brian Gun cliches as we can in sixty seconds. Go, um, but it would be a nice one to win. It'd be nice to get, and also just hit get 35 and just like get closer and closer and closer to that magic 40 point mark. And then everyone really can relax. And we are all talking about the league versus the cup. What do we want to do? If we could get ourselves close to 40 points and everyone can kind of relax and just really start enjoying it and start enjoying the cup and, and the things like that. So this this weekend presents a nice opportunity, particularly with a couple of tough games coming up. There aren't that many easy games until April. And whilst I don't think this is an easy game, I think this is one where Fulham should be winning and and could be, given the fixture list as a whole, Fulham should be targeting three points in this game most of all.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think this and the Wolves game, obviously, on on February 24th uh, are the two you look at and go, right, that's two home games, home league games in a row that Fulham might well be just about, you know, considered favourites for. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you look at those two games and go, if you win both of those and... You you get to 38, I, I think. But if you're at 38 by the end of February, yeah. everyone, everyone's just kind of shoulders go, whew, cool. Mm-hmm. Even with a bit of a relegation scrap trying beginning to swirl below us, it, it does feel like that would be absolutely fine. So, yeah, I, I think it's a game that Fulham have to go out and look to win. Uh, you have to try and take advantage of that Forest away form. Um but yeah, they are getting much better. They are improving across the course of the season. The squad has finally started, I think, to gel properly. Uh, and as I said, Cooper's done a really good job. So it's not going to be an easy task, but definitely one that, that Fulham should be looking at and going right. Three points here, and and we can we can carry on then, and we can also go to Brighton with with some confidence, right? Yeah. In that we've played you know some of the the big guns. We've we've held our own nicely against them of late, uh, and you, you you kind of want that. To continue, you want it to to look at it and go, okay, yes, we lost one 0 to Newcastle and Tottenham, but both very good sides, both up challenging for the Champions League places, and F- Fulham weren't miles off either of them. I didn't think we've beaten Chelsea once, we've drawn with them away. We can beat Forest here. You go into that Brighton game and go, why not? Why not? Uh, and I think that those are the those are the kind of moments you want in order to just kick you on to these big games. And you'd say the same for the you know the the Wolves and the Leeds game in the cup, right ahead of the Brentford game you're going, all right, that's a tricky task. And much as it pains me to say it, that's a difficult game to go and win, especially given the atmosphere that will be swirling on a Monday night at at Legoland. It's going to be be difficult. If you can come into that off the back of two good performances, two good results against uh, Wolves and Leeds suddenly you're like, excellent, we, we, we're cooking. And, and you go into that full of confidence. And I think these are the important things in terms of going into these tough away games. Because, you know, even even so, you go into this, you have, you have Brighton and Brentford, and then we have Liverpool. And yes, Liverpool are not the side that they once were, but you're still going to Anfield. And I think if you can get the, you know, get the results in these kind of games, in the Forest and the Wolves who have struggled this season, it bounces you nicely into place to go and try and cause maybe shock results is a bit much, but results that maybe people aren't quite as much expecting from you.
2: Yeah. And lineup wise, Jack, I mean, as I say, I think that now that that sense midfield berth is up for debate and whether Lukic comes in. Other than that, I'm pretty confident that we know that lineup. It's going to be uh, Ream and and Diop at the back. It's probably still going to be Willian, Mitrovic and and Decadova Reed on the on the right. I don't know if Solomon's quite done enough, plus playing ninety minutes in the cup on Saturday to break his way into that um, starting picture. And 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 whilst I thought he was good in spurts against Sunderland, I don't think Marcus Silva would have seen that performance and be like, oh wow, he hundred percent has to start. We'd be like crazy not to.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that's it. It's one of those where you're looking at it and going, generally, I think Silva's going to stick to the tried and trusted, the players that have performed well in, in, in recent weeks. I would be surprised if we didn't see Solomon off the bench. But yeah. I, I think that at the moment, it feels like, I don't know what it is. It, it, he Obviously, when he gets the ball and he dribbles, he looks absolutely untouchable. He looks electric. But I think yesterday there was a question mark over that end product, right? Is, is it... What is he going to do with the ball once he beats those three men? Um, we've seen a little bit of that in pretty much all the games he's played. There have been moments, sure, and there have been some really like electrifying carries. But in terms of actually getting the ball to the back of the net without going full cliche again, it, you know, is is he quite there with that final pass with that with that ability to take the shot on? It doesn't feel like it. It feels like he wants to you know open up a load of space. You're not necessarily going to get that from yeah. the off. You might get it against tiring defenses. And so I, I would utilize it off the bench again, the midfield issue is probably the only one where I'd be looking at making changes for, you know, from the, from the settled 11s that have, have done really well in recent weeks.
2: Um, just before we do a couple of questions, Jack, uh, we didn't mention at the end of the Sunderland part, the fact that Fulham's fifth round match, um, is Leeds at home, um, and then you look at the rest of the, the FA Cup as a whole. Um, you'd imagine if every game in the fifth round goes to form, and famously the FA Cup rarely does go fully to form, although the fourth round actually didn't have that many shocks when you uh, look overall at it. You've probably got a mostly Premier League quarterfinals except the fact that Burnley and Fleetwood um, play each other although the way that Burnley are playing I feel like they're basically a Premier League side and waiting if we got an away trip to to Burnley in the quarterfinals I would not exactly be
0: especially with our record there
2: (laughs) yeah I wouldn't be jumping for joy either I I look at it now and I think like Fulham has got as good as chance as any but I still don't think like Maybe the way that I thought the FA Cup was opening up in the third round, the amount of teams that went out, I think the fourth round and then the subsequent fifth round draw, a lot of Premier League sides then getting championship or League One sides as the opposition kind of means now that it probably is a Premier League competition. It's still going to be really tough. But I look at first and foremost, this Leeds game at home, managerless at the moment, who knows who's going to go there. Um, well, looks, it might be like, is it Aliola, the Valada lead manager? It, 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 the Vicano manager. He yes. he isn't
0: going to go, I don't think. Um oh, okay. The d- reports this morning suggesting that he, he isn't going. So we'll, we shall see.
2: So so who knows who's going to be the leads manager? It's definitely not going to be Corbran. Cool, um, so I, I just, I, I'm, I'm dead excited. And also the way that the schedule has fallen for that leads game, because you've got Wolves Friday night, Fulham versus Leeds in the Tuesday, they're then... The Brentford game is not till the following Monday. so the six gates days after that Leeds game. If we were worried about squad fitness and everything else, the way that fixture calendar is has is, is opened itself up for us means that I think now at that Leeds game, you're looking nearly full first team, surely. Surely by this point, we're all on the same page that it should be the first 11.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's gonna. He, there will still be rotations in there, especially now in midfield where there's a bit of depth. It's the kind of game I can imagine maybe Cedric getting a go uh, right back. Um, but generally, I think you're probably right. Yeah, I, I think there's there's definitely something to be hung on to there. And you know, as you say, it it hasn't opened up quite as much as it maybe might have. But if everyone went to form, you you look at these and all you need all you need had to happen here for it to go a bit chaotic again is for something like a City United draw to pull out in the next round. Mm. And you're, you're back in that place where you're like, oh, wow. You know, everyone, everyone else is, is playable and beatable. And I look, Brighton are playing really well, sure. Um, Tottenham are, are Tottenham and they have the capacity to, to play really well. But apart from that, you're not looking at it and going, oh, yeah, we, you know, f- this is a Fulham side who have, have beaten a lot of these teams already this season and who have the capacity to, to do it again. And I, I think yeah. that when, you're, when you look at it like that, as long as it's not City or United in the in the if we were to get to the quarterfinal, you're backing really backing Fulham to to get to a semi, aren't you? I, th- I think that's probably where we're at.
2: Yeah, I, I think from now, I, I think that would be the dream outcome. And once you're there, once you, I mean, there's no point trying to preview that far ahead into the competition. I think a home draw as well is so key in the fifth round and would probably be key in the quarterfinals. I'm I, Fulham at Craven Cottage, although our way record this season has been good. Yeah, I think playing at the Cottage is is a massive, massive factor. And um, you'd imagine that, you know, it will be a sellout. Leeds will almost certainly take the Putney in the end because um, they'll get given it because they have to be. And then hopefully Fulham can just create a great atmosphere because, you know, matches like this, as I said, haven't played a fifth round match since 2017. That was when we lost to Spurs in the uh, in the fifth round. So a big FA Cup run match like this, it feels it feels kind of rare. It feels it feels novel. It feels exciting.
0: Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree, and I think this is it. And and also, you have to wonder where Leeds are going to be in the table by the time that this comes around, because currently they they sit one point above the relegation zone. If, the, if it comes around and they happen to be you know no further up the table or even further down, are they going to be looking at the FA Cup as? A necessary evil, or are they going to be looking at it as well? Maybe this is just a chance to rotate and give ourselves some breathing room because ultimately well, our main goal here is to stay in the Premier League, and, and that's where we're at. And, and that's what maybe gives them a little bit of an advantage there in in terms of actually just being like, okay, we might by that point uh, feel feel that we're pretty comfortable. Uh, and and if if that's the case, especially if we beat Forest this weekend, if that's the case, then it, it makes quite a nice like different setup for the two teams, one at home, loving the season, having a great time, one away, really worried about the way that the team is performing, playing, uh, and where they're going to end up at the end of the season. The last thing I think you want looking over your shoulder is watching a Sean Dash Everton side behind you, isn't it? Like, mm. And no thanks, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, so, so I think that it'll be very interesting to see in what kind of manner Leeds approach this game um, and where they kind of sit on the FA Cup, as opposed to a team like Fulham, who are at least on paper, provisionally a lot safer in terms of where the table lies.
2: What big month they've got coming up, Leeds? as well. They've got United again on Sunday. The turnaround of playing United twice in a few days is, is crazy. Then Everton away, Southampton at home before they face us. So they've got a, a massive February. And I would say if most Leeds fans, I'd say if the game they probably want to win the least or they're least bothered about, it's surely going to be the uh, the fifth round match against us. Whereas probably if you asked Fulham fans, I imagine it would be the, uh, completely the other way around. Uh, right, let's do a, a question and then this will catch on before we finish. I've got so many emails, so many of this will catch ons. So I feel like I haven't had a chance to get through them in the last couple of weeks because we've had midweek matches, et cetera, et cetera. Next week and the week after there's no midweeks. We will get through the backlog and we will do a this will catch on bumper special, but we'll just do a a couple today because we know everyone loves it. First question from John Witham, uh, our good friend John over in the States. Uh, He said transfer window question. He said, hi guys, appreciated all the coverage of the transfer window and how Marco got his two big requests and we watched some surplus players leave. Are there any people who lost out because the of the incoming personnel or lack of a loan move would have it benefited moon to come back from Borough with maybe harry wilson going the other way not sure i've agreed on that second part but definitely the first should luke harris have been loaned out for first team game time have we locked kevin and babu in some cupboard where we used to hide ailsad zveric a few years ago interested to hear your thoughts and that's from john with them in oregon um I was a bit surprised that we didn't do something about the Moon situation. I also thought it would have been um, nice for Luke Harris potentially to get a loan. Um, didn't seem like it was ever on the cards really either, but uh, particularly Moon is at Borough. Like what's he doing there? He's not even getting close.
0: Yeah. It, it's just, it, it's a funny one that um, obviously I think he's been put out a bit by the fact that Tuber has suddenly become like prime Cristiano Ronaldo. It, it's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit strange, but yeah, it's not it's not great. Obviously, him not getting minutes there, but we'll see. Maybe I mean, look, maybe conversations were had. We we don't know that, you know, between between Fulham and Borough, and maybe the Borough hierarchy are, are still pretty confident that he's going to get used towards the end of the season as the championship gets really, really mucky and hectic, and and also then you know Middlesbrough looking for a playoff push, right? So if you're actually looking at all those games, maybe they just want the depth there that they can rely on if. If, if they get into a, a sticky situation, which I think is probably the reason that he's still there. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure about the Harris loan. I, I saw Ollie O'Neill go out on loan to Derry City, which I think is a pretty interesting little move for him. Um, mm. So, so that one's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, generally though, you know, we saw Sonny Hilton go out on loan. I think it was Carlisle. Yeah. And it just not really worked for him at all. And I do think there is an element of, certain players and certain types of players, you can send you know, young, talented centre-backs, full-backs down a couple of divisions and they tend to learn from the physicality of things. They tend to learn from the, the level that they're playing at. I think you send tens down there and they often get overlooked. They often get swept away in the kind of madness that can occur down in, in the lower leagues. And I don't say that in terms of this, the foot was any worse, it's just it's just a different style I think and and it tends to players tend to get a bit lost I think in it any further down than the championship so that's why I wonder if Luke Harris has been kept around for that exact reason Um, obviously we saw when Fabio came through you mentioned that there wasn't going to be a breakthrough moment and I don't necessarily disagree with you Um, but Fabio was kept around, right? He, he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't parachuted out. They wanted him to be with the first team and work with them and, and try and improve and hone in that way. I uh, imagine that they're maybe going similarly in, in the kind of style with, with Luke Harris. They want him to be around and learning off the back of an Andreas Pereira, off the back of a Tom Kearney, who've played this position for years. Um, and, and try and make sure that he, he gets the best possible education there as opposed to going to the, you know, to a, a League One club and sitting on the bench and not having the players in training that he's learning as much from as he would from, from players who played at this level for for a long
2: time. Also, it, the, the way we're going, I'm, I'm never, you know, being trying to be arrogant here, but you're hoping that by the end of the season, Fulham are going to be playing some fairly meaningless football. Like Fulham are, I I still don't think there's going to be a European push. I still think that Fulham are going to be milling about ninth or 10th and winning some games. I think we'll have got over the 40 point barrier probably in April. Um, And you're going to be playing some games in kind of late April, May, that, that doesn't mean an awful lot. And that is perfect breeding ground for Harris to get half an hour, 45 minutes in the Premier League. We saw that that's actually what Fabio Carvalho's development came from was when Fulham were relegated. And he got some meaningless football. But it meant that even though he only needed one or two appearances, he played that game against Southampton and scored, remember? Sometimes it's those games that actually mean that, like, Harris has a carrot to in front of him for next season. Like, right, you've played a couple of Premier League games now, Luke. Work really hard in pre-season. And, and you could... You know, be getting a lot more minutes, a much more serious part of this first team. It might mean that we don't actually go and buy someone to be understudy to Andreas Pereira because you're our understudy to Andreas Pereira. So I think that's the hope and what we talked about since day one of Fulhamish is that the the endless cycle going up, going down, going up, going down just means that you don't have places to breed and and bring through new young players. So I, I think that's the hope with Luke Harris. And that's why we wouldn't have uh, shipped him out. The moon is situation is weird. And I don't know what we're going to do about that. Be interesting to see what we do come, uh, come the summer uh, with him, right? One, this will catch on. I was going to play this last week. But we ran out of time. So I wanted to get it played today from stuart Roberts, he says hi sammy and team love all your fulhamish content and my 92 year old dad and myself listen to all your shows i love that love like others i feel like we lack a song for our owner shaheed khan so i've put this together maybe the first verse could catch on it's to the tune of my old man's dustman by lonnie (laughs) donagan
1: There we go. Oh, Shahid Khan's Yona, he's got a great big tash. And when we need a striker, he gives us loads of cash. He's number one at Fulham, a very wealthy yank. He fucking loves a Fulham and QPRR wank. Oh, Shahid Khan's Yona, he's got a great big tash. And when we need a striker, gives us loads of cash. He's number one at Fulham, the leader of our team. He'll pay $10 million to fucking keep Tim Reed. Oh, (laughs) Sharky (laughs) Khan's the owner. He's got great big cash. And when we need a striker, he gives us loads of cash. He's building Craven Cottage, a fucking great big stand. He's got a billion dollars for the best team in the land. Very good. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> i quite like. I mean, it works. Yeah, it, scans. it works, it
0: scans, it scans. There's a dig at QPR. Um, yeah, I'm in, sold,
2: sold. It's probably the quite basic song that might actually catch on.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I do wonder. If there, obviously, there's never been a real thing for Shard Khan. Um, there's never been a real song in the way that there was for Our I don't know if that's just a sign of the times. Uh, as opposed to anything else, in terms of the, you know, how many clubs are absolutely belting tunes about their owners? Not many. Not many. Um, mostly because most people don't like their owners. I would add.
2: Yeah, but uh, you're not uh, going to get one for FSG, are you, at Liverpool?
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine the Glazers get. much just <laughs> yeah. love it. There United. are lots of songs about the Glazers. In fairness, they're just not of any positive ones. So yeah, I don't know if that's maybe just a sign of the times. But yeah, I mean, genuinely, if anything's going to go, why not? I do Good stuff. Loved it a lot. love. I just, I,
2: I just enjoyed that he got the swear words in there just for absolute emphasis. I wasn't 100% sure they were necessary, but I, I mean, it, it kind of just helps a football song along sometimes, doesn't it? Just appeal, it plays to the crowd.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I really thought he was going to um, rhyme Yank with bank, but um, alas, here we are. <laughs> no, nope, he chose QPR or Wank. Fair
2: play. So Fair play. <laughs> Why not? I mean, fa- <laughs> facts only on the foot of yeah. podcast this week. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you only have to look at the table. Exactly. They are. All right. That'll do for today's show. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, Jack, what would you like to go for as the pod name?
0: Much as I loved Sam James's Wanda Replay, I think that is absolutely gen- like, unbelievable. I-, I think I'm going to go for John <laughs> Schaefer's Cats Out of Lives, which I think sums it up
2: nicely. Very nice. Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank you very
0: much, Sam. I really appreciate it. It's great to be on as ever.
2: All right, uh, Fulhamish will return um, Monday morning. Uh, we'll be looking back at the uh, the Forest game. I think I'm uh, hosting that one. So looking forward to it. Hopefully we can get three points at the weekend. We are through to the next round of the Cup. One more, and it is officially a Cup run, according to Peter Rutzler's very strict definitions. So have a great weekend, whatever you're doing. we your whites. You whites.